with me and turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As well as 1 John chapter 5. I encourage you to come back tonight if you can as we continue our series on the gift and gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll be discussing the word of wisdom tonight, what that is. Uh, how it operates in the life of the New Testament church and the believer today. But this morning, by God's grace, if he tarries, uh, if our Christ tarries, I want to speak to you on uh, part two, if you will. I didn't know there was going to be a part two, but there is, because your pastor talks a lot uh, about the Bible and the Lord, and sometimes the message grows. But we're going to talk about your victory. When you hear somebody say, your victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58. But thanks be to God. To who? To God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us the victory. He is giving us the victory. And he shall continue to give us the victory. Therefore, brethren, therefore what? Since God has already given you the victory. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He did not give us victory so we could be leisurely. He gave us victory in our lives so we would have a steadfast, unmovable, abounding work ethic. Because we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Which means that victory, which is the energy for work, with our eyes set on the bema seat of Christ, where Christ himself is going to reward us for our works. I don't know how that's going to transpire, except somehow we'll know that the rewards are for His glory. He's rewarding us because it brings Him glory. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First John 5 now, 4 and 5. For whatsoever or whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even your faith, your belief system about who God is and how that relates to you. That's the victory that overcomes the world. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. To the one that has a firm, reliant, exclusive trust in Jesus Christ. Not a mental acquiescence, not a, a, a mental ascension agreeing that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, the devil believes he's the Son of God, but he doesn't have the victory that we're talking about. The victory that comes to us from a knowing. Before you're seated, very quickly, last week we learned that it's a shared victory. We're not obtaining a victory. It is ours by being in him. All things are of him, by him, and unto him. And the victory we have is part of being in him. We are in Christ and he is in us. Remember, you put the tea in the hot water, it becomes tea. You can't take the tea out the water. You can't take the water out the tea. It's a new creation. And that's what your faith is. We learned that it is a past victory, a present victory, and a promised victory. Our victory in Christ is difficult, not in it happening, but in the fleshing it out, the obtaining it. Even though Canaan was given to the Israelites, they had to fight to enter it. It's a painful, a painful victory. There's a cost to being victorious. If overcoming was easy, there'd be more overcomers. It's costly, but it's also sure. And before you're seated, you remember last week I talked to you about watching the dogs play Alabama a couple of years ago for the championship, and my friends were all, you know, throwing food at the screen and up and down and up and down. And one minute they're yay, and the next minute they're flipping over the couch backwards. But Pastor John watched it from a DVR perspective, knowing that the end result was 33-18. And the highs weren't as high and the lows weren't as low because I knew the end of the game before I turned it on. And in the end, my King Jesus stands in the earth and I'm in him. I'm already seated with him in heavenly places. I want to talk to you this morning about your victory. And why you lost it. And how you get it back. It's easier than you think. It's a narrow way. And narrow ways lead to specific destinations. 
So, Father, I just humble myself before you, and I thank you for this opportunity that's mine. I thank you for every person represented here today, Lord, especially my friend Greg, that you spared him. I pray that this fourth quarter for he and I be more effective and fruitful than we've ever been for you. Use us to the last day, I pray, O oh Lord. Anoint me this morning that I might speak with a clarity and an unction that makes the word of God come alive and enter us, that we might with meekness receive the engrafted word of God, which is able to mature us and change us into the image of your son, Jesus. And I ask these things, Father, for your son's sake. Amen. You may be seated this morning. When I speak about your victory, years ago in the church, people would ask you, are you walking in faith and victory? They'd say, I'm walking in victory. Somehow we've lost the truest meaning of that, and we equate the victory with the scoreboard. Are you winning? The scoreboard can be deceptive. The victory that I'm speaking about that Christ has granted us is internal. It can show up on the scoreboard through miraculous healing, the sparing of a life. But it can also show up like in Hebrews 11 after running the roll call of faith and all that faith did for them. Is that, and there were others who were sawn in half. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and the world was not worthy of them. They obtained a good report through faith. Both people with a firm, reliant, exclusive trust in the Lord Jesus. Both obtaining a good report through faith. Both having victory. All the people in Hebrews 11 in the first half of the chapter and those at the end. Different scoreboards, same victory. Different scoreboards, same victory. That's why you better be careful to keep your mouth off people and judge their current circumstances because they may have more victory in what looks like their defeat than you have in your ease. That right there is worth the DVD. Go replay that a couple of times. But having your victory, having been won by Christ, can be forfeited by you. Our problem is not in what Christ has done, it's what we've appropriated through nearness and faith and, and obedience and believing. When a believer forfeits his victory, the victory does not cease to exist. It's only been removed from them, the efficacy and the power of it. Christ's sanctification... He suffered without the gate for us, but we can, we can forfeit that provision and live a carnal life based on our choices. He's provided peace for us, but we can forfeit that peace through being uh, carnally minded and, and looking more at the numbers than we do the nail prints in his hand and know that it, if God spared not his own son for me, don't you think he's going to freely now provide everything else that I need? Just because Christ is doesn't mean that you've appropriated it to you. Same with the victory. Our victory is forfeited by sin. You can't miss the mark and, and walk in victory. You, you can't go to um, Florida by 75 North. It, you know, well, I got a lot of other Christian friends that believe if I just get on 75 North and a bunch of my friends believe it, you're still not going to get there. Well, that's my truth. You're still not going to get there. And sin does so easily beset us, the weights and sins of our lives. Our victory is forfeited by compromise. Just ask Samson as he lays his head in Delilah's lap and tells her his secrets. And his consecration was not lost in the moment it was lost in the vineyards of Timnath what is what is this man doing in a vineyard when he's supposed to not even be near the grape or touch the grape see the compromise happens in the heart long before it plays out in the lap of the strange woman victory is forfeited through an unwillingness to practice self-denial Jesus said if you're going to come after me first thing if you're going to follow after me deny yourself if you can't deny yourself pleasures or opportunities, it's very hard to walk in a victory behind a suffering Savior. It's very hard to follow a man of sorrows when you can't do without. And we need to understand that this victory that we're talking about 
is experienced by soldiers. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I am a son, but I'm also a soldier and a servant. Our victory is forfeited through ignorance, doubt, and unbelief. Let me tell you the difference between those three. Ignorance is not knowing that Christ won the victory. But some of us have been in church all our lives. We know this. We know that he is the conqueror. He, he conquered death, hell, uh, paid for our sins, and conquered the grave. There's doubt. Ignorance is not knowing the reality. Doubt is not casting down every vain thought that vaunts itself against the knowledge that we have. We're going to have doubts, but we don't entertain them. We don't feed them. And thirdly, unbelief. Unbelief is one of the, that and carnality, uh, living for pleasure, causes more Christians to stumble, in my estimation, than probably anything else. When God tells you something and you just don't say, because of who you are and your integrity, that has to be true. So I'm going to modify my life based on that reality. Jesus did not many mighty works all through the New Testament there because of unbelief. And Jesus, except for um, healing a few sick people, he didn't heal anyone. And in another village, it says he healed everybody. So one town, everybody that was sick. Another town, just a couple. What's the difference? Unbelief. Now listen, same Jesus, different results. In this last hour, you better be careful who's your inner circle because you'll start to take on their uh, faithlessness, their lukewarmness, their dilution, their pollution. I want to be around believers that make that thing of God inside of me jump when I hear their voice. I want to know. I want to have faith when God... uh, When Moses sent the 12 spies into Canaan in Numbers 14, listen to this. So the Lord said, I've pardoned them according to your word, Moses, but indeed as I live and all the earth be filled with the glory of the Lord, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, and they put me to the test these 10 times of complaint and unbelieving and have not listened to my voice. So what was their crime? They did they. They knew what I said, but they did not listen to my voice. They knew what I said, but did not listen to my voice. They shall by no means, this is God talking, see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of these who spurned me see it. But, bold letters, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him to the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Canaan, yeah, heaven is a type of Canaan, but there's a promised land here as well. Not just for Israel and the earth where God has set his name there, and it shall be there forever. But for us who have been engrafted in, there's a victory in our life as it is in Jerusalem, as it is in heaven. And when you hear preaching or when you read in your word and God says, this is the victory that I've won for you. And you say, I don't really know about all that. When God hears that, there are believers that are shut out of his divine intentions and plans and blessings because of their unbelief. So he cast down angels. He would cut off Israel for a time. But he'll spare you. Doesn't make much sense. And one of the reasons for our lack of victory internally is we don't believe. That's a serious sin. How, How can worry be prevalent if you believe Christ is who he said he is? How can worry be prevalent? And see, we have to attack this thing at the root. Our problem is not our problem. The symptom is not the problem. The problem is unbelief or doubts. Our victory is forfeited when we have tried to obtain it through our own will, 
our own works and or strength. It's forfeited by our, our unwillingness to fight and suffer and persevere. Sometimes it's shaken by the actions, choices, and examples of others. But just because you have lost the victory does not mean that it has went anywhere. It was and is the purchase and possession of Christ, and the door is open to all who truly believe. This is about proximity. Victory is about nearness to Jesus in a full, relying, exclusive trust and obedience and lining up how I think to match what he said. You said that I'm able. You said, according to my days, so shall my strength be. You said you will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on you. That's what you said. And reminding yourself that, that victory, even if you've lost it, is found in Christ. It's, it's, it's difficult sometimes because you have to wade back through all the mess that's been created in your apathy. But it's simple. Go back the way you came. Remember, repent, and redo. That's what it says in Revelation. Remember from when you've fallen. Repent, redo the first works. Get everything back centered. What does God say? What does Christ say? What does Christ expect? And victory. You begin to be immersed again and develop the mind of Christ. God ain't worried about nothing. God's not anxious. He's not wondering what they're doing in the Middle East. There's a day scheduled for Christ to descend. His foot's going to touch the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in half. And, the, and he's going to take over and reign from Jerusalem. And do you understand that the believers who've been translated, others, all through the millennial kingdom, are going to fly in on their jets and come into that little area of Jerusalem and walk up the steps to the temple and they're going to worship the Lord as humans while we are uh, recreated in our glorified bodies. This victory is not elusive. You just can't be carnal and have it. You have to be spiritual. Do you know what I've found in this last hour? Maybe it's just me. There's so many voices and so much information and so much distraction and so much going on that for me, the, devil, the devil's not trying to, the, the tactic is not to get me in a bed of adultery. It's to dilute the awareness and need for Jesus Christ in my life through volume. My mama has a chance to speak to the ladies this Wednesday. I heard it was pretty good. Would you all enjoy that this Wednesday? She only talked about me one time. And for our guest today, I, I need to tell you all, uh, you'll understand dilution. I haven't told it in a long time. My mama used to make tang for us back when they made tang. I haven't told you this in a couple weeks, so i got to tell you for our guest. Rabbi Greg never heard this before, but, you know, my neighbors had tang, and they just, it just thick, orange tang, but we didn't have a whole lot of money at one time after Daddy died, so Mama would make the tang, and we'd drink it. Half of it would be gone. We'd come back home, it'd be full again. She just put it under the faucet, and it's not quite as orange, but it's, you know, and you taste it. It's still orange, but it, and then about the time of the second fill-up, I said, Mama, this ain't tang. It's just, it ain't no hang in it. It's gone. You done added some. I exaggerate and digress. Um, but could it be that's what's happened to your victory? You're taking in so much of the world each day and trying to live out a faith you had years ago. And you can't taste it and God can't taste it. And the world can't. Maybe that's why they don't want what we have because it doesn't remind them of a drink that they would desire. Mm -hmm. Number two. Only two points. Number two. So from where I am, at any point on the, on the line, 
How do I enter into the fullness of this victory of Christ? Repent. This needs to be a discipline. Studying this last week on uh, some on King Saul and uh, David the Great. King David. I, I love studying the life of King David. So many types and shadows of our Savior to come. But David was a, a, a bloody man. If you look at the morality of their lives, some would argue that Saul was a more moral person than David. I mean, David takes a man's wife and, you know, other evil kings took people's gardens. David took this man's little lamb. He had one lamb took it, and then put that nobleman on the front line knowing he'd be killed so he could take his wife. I mean, this, this is, David's an example of us at our best and us at our worst, and a type for us. Let me t- but let me tell you what David had going for him, that God would look down on this frail contradiction and say, that's a man after my own heart, even when he was a boy. Because David had a heart for God. And he repented good. He repented often. He repented wholly and accurately. He would stand and say, against you only have I sinned. What do you mean? You didn't sin against Uriah and his wife? Yeah, but before I get to them, it's me and you first, God. And he would say the things. And see, in our personal lives with the Lord, we need to get along. Have I grieved you? Is there anything in my heart? Is there anything in my mind? Is there anything that stands between you and I? Because before I make it right with them, my creator, I want to make it right with you. I, 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 enjoy, uh, I enjoy people like David more than I do the Pharisees who never did anything wrong. Because I can't identify with them. When Greg and I go to lunch and we share, we usually are talking about the stuff the Lord's shown us about ourselves. And in the last couple of times we met before his surgery, he said, he just keeps showing me the cross and my, my unworthiness and how the, the, my, my sins must have been horrible for my Savior to have been beaten. Uh, see, you didn't think I was listening, but I was listening to you. For my Savior to have been beaten so and for my sin to be placed upon him. Oh, what love he must have for us. And then, so how could I then cling to that which cost him so much sorrow and so much pain? How do you get your victory back? Put down God's promise book for a while. His promises for you. 365 promises. One for each day. And figure out, is there anything between you and I? before we talk about what you can do for me. The fastest prayer that I ever have answered in my life is, is there anything between you and me, Lord? Anything. And if you go asking that, bring a legal pad. Not that it'll be, they don't have to be 32 or 36, but one will come out and it'll be connected to two people or something. If I want to repent... I want to do it thoroughly. So you might have to make a phone call, write a letter. But oh, the joy of the soul that can say, the devil has nothing in me and on me. It's all covered. Repentance. How do I get back to that victory in Christ? Number two, believe. If believing on the Lord Jesus granted you salvation... What will believing on the identity of Jesus Christ grant you this side of the cross? If I believe he's a savior and it brought me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. From darkness to light, from death to life. What will belief do in this world? It changes every perspective, every season. Every relationship, every priority, every distinction, it colors our life. It adds opportunity. It pushes back obstacles. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe. 
Jesus would say, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Your problem's not your problem. Have faith in God. Stop looking at the scoreboard and fix your eyes on God. Find his word. Stand on it. Stand firm. Believe. And then confess what you believe. When we believed on Christ and confession was made unto salvation, our, our mouth spoke what our heart felt. Tell people what you believe about the Lord. Tell people. Tell them you're believing for a baby when the doctor said there's no way you can have a baby. There was a couple that came, and I shared this on Sunday night a couple weeks ago. There was a couple that came down and said, I heard the illustration that you gave about praying for children. And uh, they said that we've tried several times, and I was so hurt and bruised the last time that we miscarried that I just stopped asking for a while. But when you preach this morning, see that? Aren't you glad the word's like a fire? It, it, it not only consumes that which is wrong, it rekindles that which was alive. And they said, will you, will you just pray for us? And I said, oh, absolutely. Let's, I prayed with them. And they came back, it was, I think it was two weeks later, and they walked up towards me. I said, hey, how are y'all? Oh, like that. She goes, already. She said, we're pregnant. I didn't think it'd be that quick, but we're pregnant. That belief, see, it colors everything. It makes opportunity open again it brings the the leaning of god into us let me tell you what faith does faith faith catches the eye of god those prayers catch the ear of god i imagine the court of heaven being something like this god in his resplendent glory sitting upon a throne that when if you were to walk in you just fall like a dead man and the angels help you up staggering to come before him you don't even know what to say and, the fa- and Christ comes up and says, Father, this is John. I died for him. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? So if I believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek you, I'm going to be careful what comes out of my mouth about you. Because he hears. He hears the complaint. You want to do a word study one day? Study the children of Israel just coming into God's plan, intention, and purposes in Canaan. And parallel that. So that's the primary context of bringing the Jews into Jerusalem to set up God's place in the earth forever. But there's a parallel of us entering into our intentions and purposes that God has for our life. And, And a lot of them didn't make it. They came out of Egypt. They just never made it. And I don't want anyone in this church to be in that number. We, we, we can believe and confess. I love old Caleb. I picture Caleb as the old plumber, uh, you know, with just, just a little bit of hair on the sides, none here. Got the pudge and the, the, the sandals, kind of ornery, kind of scratchy all the time, you know, Caleb. And everybody else is dying off in the wilderness. And when it come time, he said, I believed him years ago, and I believe him today. Give me my mountain. What mountain? The one I believed God for when I spied out this land, and I told him, these giants are bread for us. How can you say that? Because giants don't eat grapes. They brought back grapes. and said, Yeah, but there's giants in the land. There's giants. I'm sorry. I said the wrong thing. Grasshoppers don't eat grapes. That's what I meant to say. And the other ten, see, that's why it didn't make sense. Nobody responded. I said, that was a lot better point. You remember the ten spies when they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight? God said they were victorious. They overruled what God said and says, no, we're not conquerors. We're grasshoppers. God will give some of you the evidence of his intentions that are so weighty that it takes two people in your family to bring the blessing in on a pole. And we still don't believe it. Be careful of the words that come out of your mouth. I am more than able to enter into that which God has planned for my wife and my family and my babies. 
I declare, I tell him all the time, I don't want one thing you don't want me to have in my life, but I want to accomplish everything that you've planned for me. And I'm more than able because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Obey. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Obey willingly, immediately, fully, consistently, and joyfully. Y'all got favorite kids? You know you do. You say you don't. You lie. You got favorite kids? Usually, the one that's grateful and the one that obeys you is the favorite. The one that's affectionate with you, and you got that one kid. I was that kid, potentially, uh, for my mom. And, you know, you just, the act of obedience, it seems like it kills him. You tell him, you little five-year-old boy, little four, is he going to live you? I remember they could hardly stand, and I was trying to break that little spirit. You know, and you sit down. You make them sit down, and they, they convulse and stand back up. Like, what kind of sorcery is this? You know, the little boy's mama goes, sit down. He goes, I want you to know that I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> you know if I got you laughing, it's for a reason, right? Without answering, are you still that little child to God? In the littlest of things to get you to obey. It's like, you know, we're, we're 62 years old. We're 51 years old. We're 40. How, how long before you willingly and joyfully obey me and my commandments not be grievous. Repent, believe, confess, obey. Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight passionately. Fight fiercely. Fight intentionally. Fight for that which God has for you. Rejoice. Rejoice in His promises. Rejoice in his nearness. Rejoice in his power. Did you know there hath not failed one word of all his good promises? Do you really think you're going to be the first person God fails? Really? That important? I had a perfect track record until I got to Katrina and I just I couldn't finish the race. You see, you see what I'm saying? And sometimes we just need to pop the bubble of our delusion and realize how ridiculous we sound. Our God, uh, there hath not failed one word of all his good promises. The things he's spoken, will he not do it? Hath he said it, will he not perform it? He's faithful to live victorious, to see ourselves as God sees us and declares us to be and living as such. So who am I? I am his. I am in Christ. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Now let's bring clarity to that verse. Give you one scripture and we're going to play a song and go home. For us to be in Christ, we have to make sure that there's a belief system in place based on scripture and to flesh it out. To flesh it out and to live it out. To see ourselves as God sees us and to live our life in a faith of that plan. Let me read this to you out of Romans 8. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Josh, if you would just cue that instrumental for me. Now listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, here's the scoreboard, we killed all the day long we're dying daily we're aliens in this world our citizenship is in heaven it looks as if we're fools for his sake we're accounted sheep as for the slaughter 
Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Mark that in your Bible. That's verse 37. We are more than conquerors. And then Paul goes on to say, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers or things present or things to come. There's no height. There's no depth. There's no creature that can ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. But there's a part you might have overlooked because of familiarity. We just read over it. He didn't say you are conqueror. He said you are more than conqueror. See, if the fight were your fight, you'd be the conqueror. But you're in a different category. Imagine, if you will, a, a boxing match between two heavyweight champions. And in this in this corner, they say, you know. They give the height and the reach and the record. Imagine Christ and the prince of this world squaring off. And Christ coming, meek and mild. Satan coming as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And him not knowing, because listen, had they known what Christ was up to, they would not have crucified the prince of glory. And he fought and he was beaten, and he, my Christ, was bloodied and disfigured. Have you ever seen boxers or those in MMA take a beating so bad that if you didn't know them well, you, their face was so moved out of its place? Christ was so beaten, the Bible said, uh, you could translate it that his friends and those close to him could not recognize him. He was wounded. For my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him and through those ribbons on his back and his stomach and around his neck and that cat of nine tails that pulled the flesh off his body and by his stripes I was healed. Jesus paid the cost if you will got knocked down and out in one of the rounds. But he was saved by the bell. Because when the bell to start the next round happened, he rose from what looked like defeat and justified me and conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. And that, just like that boxer that fights for the 15 rounds, and in the 15th round he wins and he's, he's bloodied and battered and bruised, and he's got a belt over his shoulder and a check in his hand for $20 million. He goes home, and his, his wife opens the door before he can, and she opens the door, and he puts the belt on her shoulder and gives her the check. He was conqueror, but she was more than a conqueror. My elder brother Jesus whipped Satan at his own game 2,000 years ago redeemed me, purchased me said John you need to remember one thing I am the victor and you are more than a victor how? through in and by me just stay close in the parade of my victory and watch this imagine a triumphal parade and Jesus the hem of his garment and we're in the parade sharing in the victory that's his. Yeah, you're going to have to fight. Yes, you're going to have to endure. Yes, you're going to have to persevere. But the battle is not your battle. The battle is the Lord's. I think you just need to believe. I think you need to stop being unbelieving and enter into the faith that causes, causes you to change how you view things, what you say, and say, how, how can I be more than a conqueror and not conquer? How, well, what's, what's wrong with me? Where am I missing this at? And make the adjustment. And your pastor, if you don't know by now, I'm just a simple guy. Flashcards is how the Lord teaches me. You know, cat, dog, ABC. Picture the parade. Just put that on your refrigerator. Picture the parade. So what do you have to do to be, be, be victorious? Get in the parade. Where, where's Jesus? 
How are you doing? I'm good. How can you say that? Because I'm in the triumphal parade of my victorious Christ. That revelation changes everything. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, powers, things present, things done. Nothing's going to separate me from the love of God nor his victory. Because I can't walk with him and not share with him. And there is not one moment in the history of the world where Christ wasn't victorious. Your victory is available. Now I want to invite you to do something with me. Now this is one of those take-home messages when you look through your own soul and work out some things. But I promise you this, if you want to walk in victory, you can. You just get out of your path and get in line with his path. Years ago, I, I was part of a shouting church. Now I know they can be carnal and fleshly, and I know it can be uh, done for the, the appearance. I understand that. But our problem in today's time is not wildfire. It's no fire. That's, that's the problem. Don't worry. There's enough wet blankets to put any fire out. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. But I have found a freedom that I still maintain to this day. That's why I sit on the front row, truly. So I'm not distracted by you or your opinion of me. Even if I don't know the song, when they say something that strums a chord, you remember the little tuning fork? And they'll say, God can do it. I'll say, yes! Some of y'all just hear yes. You don't know what I'm doing. It don't matter. I wasn't doing it for you. My soul was saying, that's who he is. My soul says, that's what he does. My soul says, if you'd have known me then, you'd know why I'm happy now. And even though I don't know the song or the melody, I'm going to give you an assignment and see if you'll participate. The results are up to you. I want to introduce a song to you that you don't have to sing. It's one to see if it resonates in your heart. And at different times, would you, would you shout unto God? With a voice of thanksgiving, somebody go, yes, Lord, or thank you, Lord, or that's me, God. Just let that be a harmony as a witness for us today. Would you do that in closing with me? Oh, I'm just so nervous. Come on, stand up, stand up. It ain't about you today. No self-awareness. Check, check, self-awareness, check. Will you cue that song for us, uh, the one of victory? I'm surrounded My enemies I see With your love I hear resounding This freedom I shall see
victory. I'm confident in that victory. Christ has provided that victory, and we have the opportunity to walk in that victory, every one of us. And as Pastor John was preaching, it just resonated with me that the only way we lose that victory is if we forfeit it. No one can take that victory. No, no principality, no power, no force against you can take that victory from you, but you can forfeit that victory. And I want to encourage you to stay in your word, stay in your prayer, follow God, follow him, and remain in the victory that he has provided for you. And I just want to offer this for you because, as he said, the world is so loud and there's so many distractions. If you know your favorite social media influencer on Snapchat, Instagram, if you know more about them than you know about Jesus, you are not following him right. That's the truth. Because, and you're not going to know more about the Lord without getting in your word. It's, it's right there. It's, it's, it's not complicated. Read the Bible, follow him, don't forfeit your victory, walk in it. It's, it's simple. It's not the easiest thing in the world. We want the easy button. This is a simple button. Open up the book, read it, walk in the victory. Praise God, we are redeemed. <laughs> Pastor Greg, if you would come up and just, Pastor Greg, or Rabbi Greg, if you would come and dismiss us in prayer this morning. So you just drank ten. There was no ang. There was no ang to it. Feel free to use that too in your They know Jews don't drink tang. Come on. They drink fresh squeezed orange juice. Can't get away. Can't get away with that. Um I, I wanna bless you with um a blessing from the Bible, I can't, uh, I can't trump that, nobody can really. And I know that this room has a lot of issues in it because we human beings have issues no matter how great our faith is. You might have a marital issue, you might have a wayward child, you might have a kid in prison, insecurities, emotional issues, there's just so many issues, right? But I wanna speak specifically about your children. There's only one prayer that God the Father gave us in the Bible. Only one. And it's in number six. There's 31,103 sentences in your Bible. And these are three sentences out of God's mouth. And he said to Moses, because he spoke to him face to face, tell your brother Aaron, who is the high priest of the people, like he's the high priest here, he's the gatekeeper. He said, this is the way I want to bless my people. So you can't get a better blessing than God's blessing. I could come up with something. He can come up with something. It could sound really good. But there's no better blessing. And if you have nothing better to do, just look at those three sentences and see what God is saying over you. It's unbelievable. So I have nothing better to say than that. If your kids are wayward, if there's issues, if there's issues with your husband, anoint them when they're sleeping and say this prayer. It's, it's incredible. The result, even when my kids were 18 and I have big strapping sons, 
if I forgot to bless them, they would kneel down in front of me and say, Dad. And to this day, you know, they're 30, and still they'll call me for a blessing. And that's the blessing. So may the Lord keep you. May the Lord prosper you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua. Shalom. It was an honor to be here today with you. God bless you. Thank you, brother.